Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey, and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights, and opinions to improve dairy farm performance. Following on from our insight into Olin Greenan's dairy farming career, we hear how the 2021-22 milking season has fared and the challenges he encounters, some common and different to those we face in Ireland. Our calving starts in the early July period and um, we'd have cows calving then to, this sounds weird, doesn't it, to, to cows calving until early to mid-September. Then uh, on the 5th of October, we start our breeding, um, breeding season, so we have a 10-week breeding season. Then the, the bulls go out on the 5th of November. And then that sort of, that's, that's coincides, which I'd call the sort of easier part of the season um, coming into Christmas. And then, unfortunately, climatic conditions would dictate we'd, we'd, we'd switch to once, well, three and two or once a day milking um, just before Christmas. And then the long haul of the, the long summer lasts. So um, normally you'd aim to still milk until the end of April. Um, however, that's been disrupted uh, the last number of years with, um, you know, with, with, with harsher summers, basically. But just want to speak a little bit about this. This year's been a bit of a mongrel. And uh, there's an old saying here in New Zealand, you never get a, a good high milk price and a good season together. The stars never seem to align. But we had a, a very slow, slow, slow August, just a slow pre-balance day um, growth and as a consequence of that we probably we left a bit behind for us and dropped dropped some production and um, unfortunately even affected our reproduction so generally speaking we're we're sitting around that we'd, we'd be targeting or we'd be achieving a 76 percent um, six week in calf rate so just that's not six week calving rate it's six weeks in calf yeah. um, and empty rate was sitting around eight to 78% of 10 weeks. So we were very happy with that, uh, tipping along at that. But this year, unfortunately, probably as a consequence of the harsher spring, we, we ended up uh, 73% six weeks and our, our empty rate jumped to 11%. So got a bit of work to do there. It was disappointing because I um, felt we had, you know, we had a nice tight system and, um, you know, it could just show how quickly that hard work can unravel. So um, it'll just make us refocus for next year. Anyway, so we sat um, sat behind at one stage. We're nine percent behind for the season. Um, season was was going okay. You know, it was a slow start, and then it, it seemed to be normal. And then September was okay. December was okay. We got a bit of a dollop of rain, but we normally go once a day mid January. But this year, I just wanted to trail with something we tend to we tend to seem, and this will be touching on that share milk and owner relationship it has to be an agreed thing but I think we felt we we left a left a run too late and um, the key with going once a day particularly in a dry summer context is to transition while you still have ample feed anyway I was curious to dabble with three and two milkings um, this year so got the agreement to go ahead the 15th of December but there was a two-pronged approach to that um, to that reason we a was just trying to um, you know keep that production a little bit higher and B, we wanted to look at, uh, you know, something more um, more people-friendly. Um, and as a result of that, over Christmas. So our regime was, sorry, the three and two, just to clarify. We'd milk normal times on day one. So we'd milk at 5.30 a.m. in the morning, 3.30 p.m. in the afternoon. And then the second day will be a 10 a.m. milking. So what that then meant is that staff were getting a sleep in every second morning. And then they were getting every second afternoon off. But what we actually found... Um, 
as a result of that, particularly in the hotter days, we were getting more productivity in the morning. We were starting at seven o'clock and we had a steady two and a half hours of work to do when the temperature was lovely and low compared to being out there in the heat of the day. So it worked really, really well. And over Christmas, particularly, um, it, it, it worked really, really well from a people point of view. The cows, I think we were doing 1.4 milk solids when we transitioned over and dropped to 1.35. So you can pretty much say it was, was a mute point. Um, carry that on for just over a month, hoping it could keep going, but the, the dry conditions just pummeled us and we had to drop to once a day then uh, in, in, at the middle of January. And and to to look at it all in um I suppose in the broader picture, can you talk us through um I suppose grass supply and man feed management, say from when you start calving in mid July, early to mid July? Yeah, so we um we we have been managing so we 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 target twenty twenty three well our target is twenty three hundred on the that's total available so you can take you know fifteen hundred of that but on the first of July or the start of calving. And um, the last four years on this farm, sorry, three years on this farm, we, we, we just about sneak by with no, with no supplements. We might have, the, there might be a 10 day period where a couple of kilos of cow of uh, grass silage would go in. And probably, you know, just reflecting on this past season, I'm probably a bit stubborn getting out of the traps and putting supplements in. And that there's probably just a discipline or ill-discipline I have you know just reluctant to put that feed in and normally I seem to wing my way and get away with it and it doesn't affect fertility but probably should have tipped something in there a bit sooner so from an on a normal point of view we aim to be grass 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 only um all all through calving all through um you know the the, the mating period and I suppose just touching on on that that's a kind of a a tactical maneuver in some sense if you get your system right from autumn previously and the weather plays its part and you get your um cover built up the time that you can free up with you know if you, if you think people that milk too long or you know don't have the right the right round left set up then they end up having to feed supplements during calving when you're already business uh, already busy so with a bit of thought you can actually save a lot of labor in that in that busy time um provided the climate is um is favorable so sorry then we'd um we get to Christmas, we'd make a bit of surplus. Um, our nitrogen used here about 130 kgs of N per hectare. So it's not, it's it's probably below average in the Waikato. Um, stock to three cows to the hectare here. So we make we make a um, little bit of baleage silage, but what, what we do, we, we grow maize silage for the summer. Um, and that's, yeah, we'll probably be lost without it this last few years. And, and it's interesting when you when you look at the whole stocking rate thing, you, you um, Everything we do from now to the 31st of December is, is spot on. You couldn't fault it. But it's um, the real challenge in our system now here is uh, post-Christmas. And that's that summer. The summer, the, the typical summers have went from six weeks of dry to nearly 10 weeks. And we haven't actually changed our system. Um, you can't really drop your stocking rate because you lose that pasture utilization pre-Christmas. Um but we just we're just trying to find a way. So we're trying a few things. We've we've started growing forage rape um, as a summer crop. So that's yielding quite well, about 14 ton a hectare. So that just gives us a bit of protein in the summer. But haven't just got there yet. Um, this year, I just want to sort of close off this year. Um, we we stayed on once a day. We had intermittent rain throughout the summer. It would keep things alive, and then 
we dried off 20th of April, 6% behind last year, but the rain had stopped and we ended up with probably one of the driest Mays that I can recall. And consequence of that is we're now sitting with cover below 1,800, two weeks away from when it should be 2,300. So we're not in a great position at the moment, but you know, um, we, it's not from any wrongdoing. Uh, we're out on an 80-day rotation pretty much from end of April. So it's not pretty at the moment, but as you know, been farming long enough, I think things will, you'll plan for the worst and hope for the best a little bit because that's all we can do now. And your 2300, Olin, um, that you like to open with at the start of calving, that would have been a fairly normal figure in Ireland. But we are in the situation now where we have compact calving and higher stocking rates on farm that we're actually pushing that up to, um, you know, a thousand and in some cases, 1100. So that would be 2,500, 2,600 for you. Have you ever considered that opening with more cover or is that considered a waste in your system? Yeah, it, I'm, I'm sorry, a couple of years by default, we had that going into, into calving. That was just um, serious growth in June, uh, ended up with covers of 25, 25.50. Um, it's, not, it's not the end of the world, but you do, you've got to be careful because you can end up with a lot of, you can't get through all that heavy covers with, with dry cows. Um, excuse me. So I suppose that the 23, 24 in a normal year seems to get us through. But it's interesting what you're saying there about compacting the calving. You know, people people would say, oh, you need to calve earlier. But my argument is, well, that's a very loose statement, isn't it? Because uh, the person that calves earlier or, or sorry, the person that calves later will still have a might have a, a, an earlier mean calving date than the guy that calves earlier was sprawled out. So people need to be careful with how they how they analyze that but but as you say as well um you're running a higher geared system then with the compact calving um it's great and and in some ways it's led to some people pushing the calving date a little bit later for that reason you've mentioned they want to get the calving done and condensed and all the associated positive things of that for you know days calve pre-mating but it does put a big pinch on the feed supply. So um, you do you do ride the wind a little bit closer, um, you know, with the compact calving thing, certainly calving early. And the supplements you've mentioned now are grass silage, maize and fodder rape. Where does concentrate feed come in to your system, Olin? Yeah, so we we would feed, so we would feed a little bit of palm kernel, um, I think, what have we fed this year? 150, 200 kgs a cow or not even 150, I think, per cow. And I would, would use that just primarily for autumn condition replenishing. We haven't got any facilities for feeding them. So there's no there's no sort of um, there's no lore or tendency to to use that. So that's that's quite that's one good thing. Um, and, we, you know, we, we our, our systems probably biologically could still still exist without it. And that's something I'm hoping to phase out. Um as well so that that's tipped in in the dry summers and, and the autumn um just and it is good to put condition back on cows um yeah so that's uh, i probably should have paid some this spring with the milk price we knew what it was going to be but it's primarily maize silage um, which is low in protein and this is the challenge we have in the summer we don't have enough pasture silage and high protein to carry us through um and it's making me sort of think well instead of palm kernel do we grow less maize by and more bulk grass silage, which is higher in protein? So these are the sort of conversations a lot of farmers are currently having now that the realisation that the last couple of summers here have been pretty 
pretty, pretty, pretty tough. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting one, and I, I guess the the weather conditions and prolonged or uh, you know harsh weather conditions are something that we all have to contend with, and 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 maybe you know slightly adjust the system to align with it. Um, you know, I suppose following on from that then you know you mentioned winter time are your cows on farm for the winter you know you mentioned there's no no sheds um so you know what is the management of them over winter yeah we're quite lucky in the white cattle here and we're we're farming on peat soils which i will give out stink about in the summer that um with the high soil temperatures just ryegrass you know pasture persistency is a massive problem for us here with those drier challenges although the silver lining on that is that it takes a lot to get the peat wet so we're quite we're quite lucky here um, from a winter point of view that it's uh it's very easy and I, I do remember arriving here and um coming from a wet farm in Clevedon uh people were saying you won't have to stand cows off it won't be an issue and I remember the first test the first weekend it was here it was 80 mil- millimeters of rain forecasted and it was actually the day the second the day after we arrived and I had no facilities. I didn't know what I was going to do for standing off. And I, I remember dreading the next morning and I went out and I thought, wow, where, where's the rain? The, the ground had just soaked it up. So that's that's fine as long as you don't have a, a really wet um, winter. But yeah, no, so we, we don't we don't winter off, thankfully. Everything, um, historically, we've had everything on pasture only, just maintenance, eight to nine kgs. I should just comment there. Uh, we're on a cr- Frisian crossbred herd. Uh, Sure, we have about 480 kgs. Um, so we're able to, if we get the system set up right, we're able to run those through on all grass. Unfortunately, this year won't be the case. And um, yeah, I, without thinking too hard about it, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. The next six weeks is going to be interesting between now and calving as to how, how we're going to manage covers and how we're going to manage uh, post-calving covers and all those sorts of things. So so if if we turn our attention all into production, then um, you know you mentioned you're calving from early July, and and you're going to dry, you know, on a on a, on a good and normal year by April. So can you tell us about lactation length and uh, production per cow? Yeah, so I suppose when we look at our business um, production per cow, yes, it's a KPI, but it's not probably top of the list, um, and that's just I suppose following research and looking at things, I suppose, in areas, production per cow is, is the residual effect of how you do all the other things well. Um, so I'm talking more about, you know, maintaining your low cost of production, um, you know, harvesting your pasture, you know, just getting your cost structure set up right. However, um, you know, we are, we are uh, you know, achieving those fertility results. Um, we're tricking along. We'd pick at two milk solids per cow. And we'd hold, you know, we'd hold that for me and same, but, the summers is our biggest challenge. And um, as I mentioned before, everything we're doing is pretty pretty good and by the textbook up to December. And once the summer comes, we just bottom out so much. And as a matter of fact, you know, that's forcing us to look at how do we how do we reduce that post-Christmas decline? Because the reality this year we've we've done 350 a cow. You know, that's not we'd like to have that a little bit, a little bit higher. Um, and as a share milker, you know, that's your your asset. So you're wanting to push them as well as you can but i'm also aware of some of the pitfalls of um of chasing that utopia as well so um i think i mentioned you know we need we need to revisit we need to have a conversation about farm systems here in the waikato particularly in the summers because we've got drier summers now if we if we go by the you know the true tested um grazing principles 
um, just your demand is too high in the summer and we just need to crack a nut as to how we can address that. And on that, the farm system, like there's there's a huge amount of um, discipline. Now, as you, you mentioned earlier, maybe there's there's an ill discipline in that you should have gone in with a little bit of supplement earlier, um, you know, during that rough spell in the month of August. But, um, you know, it, particularly in a year like this, you know, you're in the same position as we are. You know, milk price is so buoyant on, you know, for farmers and in some ways there's the temptation to drive on production um you know for for your system you know your core principle is grass utilization so how do you maintain discipline like you know what is the trigger for you to say no we're not going to go in with extra palm kernel or we're not going to go in with extra silage to push things on um we're going to we're going to stick to plan and go to once a day or the three and two milking yeah, it's it's an interesting question because also if you if you just consider our situation, we're we're not the we're not the sole decision maker from a farm system point of view. So you've got you've got your farm owner who who may have slightly different philosophies on how you want to farm. And I guess in this particular farm, I was quite lucky in the sense that the stars somewhat aligned when I got here. We had a really mild winter. We had a fantastic early spring. We had a fantastic year up to Christmas. And we just nailed everything out of the textbook as far as um, grass only, harvested some grass. And then we, we managed to replicate that year on year. And the owners then realized, man, there's, there's consistency here. And you could, you could pretty much write in your cost. You could nearly year on year our costs were pretty much identical. So they were starting to like this sort of consistency. The thing starts to get a little bit distorted when you get a when you're on the you know on the height of a of a high milk price because it's very very easy to start doing some marginal analysis of tipping up feed and that, um, and this is where, you know the, the and I mentioned about luckily there's no facilities here because if the scenario was we the owners decided to invest in feeding facility was we'll, we'll straight away all those principles are are getting threatened uh, maybe threatened is a strong word but. Um, the fact there's nothing here, it's a lot easier to, uh, you know, to stay, stay on par with what what you're trying to do. However, we've we've got a we've got a definitely got a tactical adjustment to do in the summer, and and as to how we fill that, I'm not sure because I think I mentioned we can't drop our stocking rate, you know, because the front end of the season we're going to lose all those benefits of good grazing pressure and good utilization, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yeah, so I mean, it'll be a a technical introduction of maybe additional feed, but I would would imagine we, we won't go down the infrastructure route because my fear would be if we go down that route, the owner then will will want a system change, and then we we're going to move our cost structure probably another tier, and then in the event we know milk prices will go back down, we get ourselves locked into that. What are the key challenges that you have faced and how has it impacted on how your practice in farming or you have evolved your your practices over the years? Probably quite lucky that there's there's never been any there's never been any major challenges that have sort of um made me question what I was doing. Um we've talked quite a bit about the three dollar eighty payout. That that probably was the hardest period um and in everyone in everyone's eyes as well. Um, we just started our family and, you know, there was, I suppose you sort of, you know, at that time you're, you know, your, your family's dependent on you to, um, to provide a, provide a living for them. Um, 
So that that was quite challenging and, and probably as well coinciding just with the, the challenges of that farm and maybe maybe your business growth quite stagnant. Um, you know, that, that that was probably the hardest period. But at the time, I probably didn't realise that. So just looking back on that, that uh, may have been the most difficult thing. I guess the evolution of many things here, um, but I think the important thing is you have to evolve with them. And if you can evolve with with the evolution of these things, it doesn't it doesn't seem as uh, as an abrupt change. I mean, when I came here first in the year two thousand and one, <clears throat> I remember not long in my tenure here, we TB tested, and um, this guy just rocked up on a in a ute and a, in a truck and um, stuck an injection under the cow's tail and said he'd be back. He asked how many cows have you got, and some said, "Oh, roughly, I think there's about this many." Is that's cool be back a couple of days later and read them and not a single tag was read at all. And I just thought, wow, that's um, <laughs> unbelievable. But even the internet, you know, there was no, no electronic, you know, radio frequency tags at that time. So we've, we now have a national animal um, tracing system with the NATE system. And that's, um, I guess that's been improved since the outbreak of MBOVA. So we've, we've come, come a long way with uh, traceability um the animal welfare thing it's 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 certainly something that we're all well aware of and you can get disillusioned about it and annoyed about it but at the end of the day you know we're our consumers are you know there's there's so much transparency now they can see so much of what we do that we need to be so very very careful of how we produce and how we look after our, our animals um well, we need to take that as an opportunity to showcase how good we do things because it can be used as a as a point of difference in, in, in a marketing context. Um, I guess the, the two big, you know, the big things on our environment right now, I guess, is the methane, the greenhouse gas emissions, and um, maybe not so much the nitrogen. Nitrogen leaching's uh, a little bit on the, in the topic, but it's probably a more localized conversation with water quality. However, the, um, the methane thing is, uh, is, is in a global context is a big, big question um but i have no doubt that that you know farmers globally are very innovative and uh i've no doubt there's people working tirelessly at the moment to try and find uh, you know some form of intervention in, in an animal um context to uh to alleviate some of that um but we're we're in a we're in a very peculiar place place at the moment when you know the word food security has been used and it's it's disappointing to think we're in the world now that that term has been used but um we're you know dare i say it though it was nearly needed um for people to appreciate where the food comes from but i just wonder how far the i guess the, you know wanting to be green and, and and making sure that we're um you know um steward steward stewarding the land and whatnot but at what uh at what point do does food availability and food security become more important? So it's a very interesting time. It's not a it's not a nice time. Uh, don't get me wrong, but it's it just going to be interesting how that uh, whole thing plays out over the next little while. Yeah, and, and it, it, it's an interesting balance because absolutely there is a green agenda, and then there is the the balance. And I, I suppose it's a lot closer to home for us right now that, than you. But you know, an, an awful lot of the grain and fertilizer is coming from the likes of Ukraine and Russia, and th- that has somewhat halted at the moment. So you know, there's 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 huge question marks over. Um, I suppose the impact of that on the amount of food that is going to be circulating. 
Um, just a final point on on you, you mentioned nitrogen and earlier earlier on you said you're spreading 130 kilos of nitrogen per hectare. Um, you know, is that a, a, you know a normal number, and has that declined over time? You know, in terms of your system. No, I, um, so it's interesting. So the um, the government maybe it's two years now signalled um, a cap on synthetic N of 190 kgs per hectare. And it was quite a significant signal that because it was the first time that that there was a a directive placed on farmers, whereas previously everything was sort of farmer farmer output let you know it was a sort of farmer output driven decision rather than the other way around so so it was quite an interesting um uh, thing at the time however um 190 is probably if you think of your canterbury system where they're growing 17 18 tons of of pasture and they've got uh you know water in abundance they're going to get constantly getting response for uh for nitrogen applications with 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 the with the wet, with the water availability, they some of their system and they, and they've built a system around that stocked at three point five cows to the hectare and whatnot because you know they can meet that uh, supply, uh, the demand is equal to the supply. However, in air system, um, we uh, ironically, as it might seem, we can't put we're not physically able to put any more. Our limiting factor is lack of moisture. So, if we go from so air our dry period from January to this year to May. So that's five months of your farming calendar year um, that you can't put anything on. Then if we're only stocked at three cows to the hectare, you, you only want to be trickling on 30 units um, after your cows, unless you want a massive surplus, um, which is not, not the easiest thing in the world. I've seen some years we'd put a lot of in on in November and then you take out a huge chunk of area for silage. And then the next thing, the rain goes away and you're <laughs> it hasn't happened, but you'd end up having to, feed it back out so yeah no it hasn't um it hasn't affected their system and it it, it won't it won't affect their system where uh um but i'd rather be putting on a little bit more and growing a b- bit more pasture but it's um pennies from heaven we need to be able to do that absolutely um this has been such a, an interesting uh, conversation all and, and a thoroughly enjoyable this, as I say, you're you're so far away, but it's it's just such a similar, um, similar challenges and, and aspects of farming that that face Irish farmers on a day to day basis. We'd like to wish you the very best of luck for the rest of the dry period, and we hope grass production picks up um, ahead of calving start date in July. Thank you, Olin. Thanks, Emma Louise. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast, and my thanks to Olin Greenan for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.